This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. I am not my own. I am bought with a price. I don't direct my life. I don't lead my life. I seek the Lord's leading in every aspect of my life. I seek the direction of God's Word in my life. I seek the fullness of His Spirit in my life to cause me to make the correct choices, to follow the right steps in my life. Paul prays that Christ would dwell, take up residence, to be at home in their hearts through that work of faith. In the world today, the word success means that you have arrived. You've made something of yourself. Perhaps you've earned notoriety, came into wealth, or accomplished major life goals. Well, none of these things equate success in the biblical sense. You see, we can have all of these things and still be lost. The bottom line is that in order to succeed in this life, you must be born again. You can have all the success and fame this world has to offer, But if you die without Jesus, your soul is lost forever. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 14, for part one of our message entitled, A True Success. As we get into the message today, I just want to kind of draw your attention to the fact that there's probably not a parent around that's uh, really worthy of the uh, title of parent that doesn't wish their children success, success in life and And yet success is defined differently across the board. When you think of it, success for an individual, if it's in the thought of someone who is a a powerful or a wealthy entrepreneur, success for their child might be that uh, that child would be successful financially, that that child might uh, excel in the business world. Success for an educator might be that uh, their child not only has a a good high school education, but also a college education and some postgraduate, perhaps even postgraduate degree as well as ours. So for an educator, success looks a little bit different. But my question to you this morning is, what is the standard of success for you, not only in your life, but for also for those of you who are parents, your standard of success for your children? For you as well as for your children. For the Christian, really the standard of our success, both for our own lives as well as for our children, ought to be based on the Word of God. What the biblical standard is and what the Word of God declares is successful. And throughout the Word of God, we get some directions for what that success is. We read verses like what Jesus speaks when he declares, what does it profit a man if he gains the entire world and yet loses his soul. Gaining the world is not success. But again, gaining an eternal life in Christ is. Well, Paul writes to us in the book of Romans, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by that renewing of your mind. We read in Hebrews, pursue peace with all people and holiness, and without which it's impossible or that no one will see the Lord. All of these and a multitude of other scriptures that we can look at that help us to determine what the Christian life is in an attitude or an idea of success. What we need to do is transcend this world's standards of what success is, and we need to look and see what is God's direction of what success is. Now, don't get me wrong. There's no problem with being successful 
in this world's eyes. There's no problem with that unless it's at the cost of, again, succeeding in your Christian life. If you have to back off in your Christian walk in order to succeed in the world, then you've got the wrong direction. You're going the wrong way in your life. And again, God is not going to be honored by any of that. Now, Paul, as a devoted parent to this church in Ephesus, speaks to them not according to what the world standards, but he speaks to them with an attitude in the heart of wanting them to succeed. He wants them to exceed according to the will and to the plan of God in their life. And as we continue on in our study of Ephesians, we come to this very important prayer of Paul's for the church, not only the church of Ephesus, but beloved, as we've said, this is a message for you and I too. And I believe that the same prayer that Paul gives for the church of Ephesus, I as a pastor give for you and for myself too. Look at it with me if you would, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 3 of Ephesians. Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then all of a sudden Paul breaks out in this benediction right in the middle of his writing. He declares, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever Amen. This is powerful stuff. When you look at this prayer and when you look at the desire of Paul for the church, you and I need to understand, man, this is power for us in our Christian lives. And from here, Paul goes on to give the charge to the church of how they ought to be living as believers. But before we get into that, I want to back up and look at what this prayer speaks as Paul expresses this really deep personal concern for the people of God. He says in verse 14, he says, For this reason, for this reason I bow my knees. What does he mean by this reason? Well, remember earlier, and we've gone through this over the last couple of weeks, this mystery of God, the fact that Paul was called to the Gentiles. Paul, who was the teacher of the law, was called to bring the reality and the truth of not the law, but the reality and the truth of the grace of God to Gentile believers. Those who didn't know God, who were absolutely ignorant of His promises, of His Word, and of the law, Paul comes and brings to them the message of grace, the greatness of the love of God toward them. And Paul says, and for this reason, the reason that I am called to you as Gentiles, for this reason I bow my knees. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that whole idea, that attitude of bowing his knees, that's an attitude of absolute surrender and absolute worship. In a strictly literal translation, it would be, I fall to my knees before the Father. And he goes on to tell them what he's asking the Lord for. But before we even get into that, we need to understand the, the normal position for a Jew in prayer 
is not necessarily bowing to his knees. The normal position for a Jew in prayer is standing up with their arms lifted toward heaven, with their head held high and their eyes open. Now, that's a whole lot different than we do at church, isn't it? With every head be bowed and every eye closed. You know, because for us, that seems a little bit more solemn. That seems to be really spiritual when we do that, doesn't it? I mean, let's face it, that's the reality and the truth. But again, for the Jew at that point in time, it was, man, we want to worship the Lord. But there is a difference. There comes a difference in time of, of how and, and where we pray, the, the attitude, the position that we have. If you'll remember in Luke 18, Jesus was talking to those who trusted in themselves as they were righteous and they despised others. And he gave the parable of a Pharisee that stood before the Lord and of a tax collector. And he said that that Pharisee was very proud and very arrogant as he stood and he prayed to God, thanking God that he's not like this one or he's not like that one. And on he goes, again, just thanking the Lord of his own arrogance. And yet next to him, or actually down the way, there was a publican, a tax collector. And Jesus says that one, he was so humbled by the mercy of God or the desire for the mercy of God that he wouldn't even lift his head, but he continued to beat on his chest, crying out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Beloved, it's not the position of the outward body that matters. It's the condition of the inner man. Whether we stand or whether we bow, whether we have our eyes open, whether we have our eyes closed, different times, different prayers, what matters is the condition of the heart and the request that's being made. Let me ask you this. Can you celebrate the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the majesty and the might of God with your hands lifted up, your eyes wide open, looking up to heaven? Absolutely we can. What a great way to do that, just to declare, Lord, you are so great, you are so mighty, you are majestic in all that you are, to be able to declare that. But let me ask you this, can you, in the same way, in the same form, lifting your hands to heaven with your head up and your eyes wide open, cry out for the mercy or for healing or forgiveness from the Lord. Sure you can. Lord, be merciful to me. Lord, we need your touch. We need your hand in our lives. We need a move of your spirit. You see, it's not the position, but it is the attitude of the heart. It's the direction of the inner man being lifted up before the Lord. And I believe what Paul is describing here is a position of that inner spiritual humility that carried with him throughout all of his letters to the churches. Throughout his letters, he declares himself, again, as that bondservant, that servant, that prisoner of the Lord. And here, the Apostle Paul, he had every human right to be able to stand with pride, to be able to even have a bit of arrogance, if you look at it in a worldly sense, and you look at his worldly accomplishments, he would have had that right, and yet he knew in his spirit that there was no room at all for any kind of pride when we come before the Lord. Because there's nothing that you and I can do that we'd be able to speak with pride and speak with any kind of an arrogance. Paul understood that when we come, whether it be standing or sitting or kneeling or laying face down before the Lord, our hearts, our attitude has to be right 
before him. He goes on, he says, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 15, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He speaks here of the total la familia, the whole family, all of the family of God. Those who have passed on into glory as well as those that remain. He speaks of the family. But in that sense, all of these believers of all times, including, again, that glorious family that we are with Christ Jesus as our elder brother, Paul recognizes the absolute superiority of Jesus Christ over this family. We're all under the headship of Christ. We're all under his name. And on behalf of the family that still remained, Paul gives this prayer. And he declares that he's asking the Lord to grant to them according to the riches of his glory. He doesn't ask according to the fact that they've done a really good job. He doesn't say, Lord, would you answer their prayer because they've been absolutely obedient to you in every aspect, in every way. No, what does he say? Lord, according to your riches in glory. It's his riches. It's not our ability, church. And Paul clearly understood that it was the very Holy Spirit of God who was the sustainer, the provider, the revealer. Again, and it is all for the glory of God the Father. That's why Paul makes that request that God would grant them, I believe, four specific things here. He says in verse 16, he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. And then number one, I believe, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. The second thing I believe that he's asking specifically is that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. The third thing, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what's the width, the length, the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. And then fourthly, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's back up and look at that first one. To be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. This inner man that Paul speaks of is called elsewhere in the Scripture our our soul or our spirit or even our heart. It's that portion of an, an individual that makes that intimate contact with the Lord. It's the spiritual aspect of your life. While the outward man, our flesh, is perishing, struggling with the things of the fallen nature, the things of the fallen aspects of this present world, our inner man needs to be being renewed daily. But you know what? You can't do that on your own. I can't do it on my own. You can't do it on your own. It is the work of the Spirit of God. As a matter of fact, you know what? If we're left to ourselves... Our very inner man begins to get rotten. That very spiritual thing that a week ago, two weeks ago, a month ago, yesterday, was just thriving in the spirit. If we continue in our own strength, we begin to rot. We begin to see the real us coming out. We need a continual refilling of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. Paul tells us later in Ephesians that we need to be continually be being filled in the Spirit of God. And we'll look at that a little bit later when we get there. But as I shared with you in the past, the reason we need to be being refilled continually is simply because we leak. We leak in this world. As we go throughout this world, we leak in our lives. 
Now, last time I shared that, I shared with somebody about that, and they came to me afterwards and said, well, now, Pastor, I have a real problem with that. You said we leak, and does that mean we're going to lose the Holy Spirit? And I said, no, no, that's not what I mean at all. What I do mean is that we leak that empowering. We leak from the anointing, the reality of the Holy Spirit. He remains in our life. He is the seal. He is the promise. He is the down payment of God in our life for our salvation. No, we don't lose the Holy Spirit, but we definitely are drained from that powering, that anointing in our lives. You and I cannot be used powerfully by God when we're running on last week's anointing. We can't be uh, even going forward in our Christian life if we're living on yesterday's empowering. We need a day-by-day infilling, refilling baptism of the Holy Spirit within our lives in order that He can and will and does work within our lives with all of the might and all of the power that He has available for us to live our lives. We need to be continually strengthened with might through Him by that refreshing of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, he says in verse 17, he says that my prayer for them is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And again, at first, this looks like a, a strange request. What do you mean that Christ would dwell in their hearts? Don't they already have Christ in their lives? Aren't they believers that he's writing to? I believe that the Holy Spirit led Paul to use specific and an interesting choice of words here. You see, there's a difference between dwelling and abiding. To abide means to to stand, to remain, or to stay in a given place. And again, Christ abides within our lives. But when he says dwell, it's a specific word, and that word has more the connotation of making yourself at home. That Christ would make himself at home within our lives. The reality is, is probably many believers That though Christ might abide within them, that Christ isn't fully allowed to make himself at home within their lives. And you know the difference. You know people who would come to your house, they are abiding in your house. But there's only a few people probably that you allow in your house and you say, hey, make yourself at home. Some come into your house and they're there and you're just kind of watching the clock to see, I wonder when they're going to leave. But there's others that come into your home and you say, hey, make yourself at home. You need a sandwich? Uh, we got stuff in the fridge. Go ahead. Make yourself at home. Feel comfortable here. You are free within this place. My house is your house. Mi casa es su casa. Again, come and enjoy this time. The difference between those two of making themselves at home. It wasn't too long ago that I drew your attention to a sermon or a message by a Presbyterian pastor by the name of Robert Munger. He was a pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Berkeley, California, way back in the 50s. In 1954, he gave a message to his church that became so popular that it came out in printed form. And they printed over 10 million copies of this. And the Billy Graham Association used that little pamphlet, that little booklet, multiple times, giving them out as encouragement for believers. The title of his message and the title of that little pamphlet is called, My Heart Christ's home. It was from that this very passage in Ephesians that he was speaking about, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that Munger spoke of surrendering every room of his life over to Christ. He shared about how after uh, his conversion, 
allegorically, he walked with Christ room by room throughout every aspect of his life, considering what Christ desired of him and from him. Again, in this very short booklet, the booklet's only about 32 pages long, but as he goes around, goes through, he tells of going into the living room. He says, and there in the living room was going to be the place that I would meet Christ daily. And as Christ came into the living room of my life, he saw on the bookshelves many things that were not honoring to him. Many things that were actually pulling away from the closeness of fellowship in my life with Christ. He saw things hanging on the wall that drew my attention away from the focus of Christ. And he allowed me, he again directed me to remove these things that were so distracting in my walk and to fill them with things that would honor and glorify him. All of these worldly distractions removing and bringing in those things that would cause my focus to be on Christ. He says, next we went into the dining room. And there in the dining room, again, examining together with Christ the appetites and the fleshly desires that should or should not control him. Those things, as Munger says, that fed his life, things like uh, worldly success, things like the pleasures of man, the applause of man, and how these things, as they fed his life, again were destructive to his life and to his walk in Christ, and how Christ desired to change his appetite in his life to be seeking after those things that would glorify him. He says in his booklet that together they even explored those hidden, those secret closets in his life. Those areas that only Christ could clean out. It's only when they had gone through each room of his life that Munger gave the keys of his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he declared, here it is, all that I am and have forever. Now you run the house and I'll just remain with you as a servant and a friend. How that ought to be our lives as believers. How that ought to be the reality and the truth of our lives as believers. That I am not my own. I am bought with a price. I don't direct my life. I don't lead my life. I seek the Lord's leading in every aspect of my life. I seek the direction of God's Word in my life. I seek the fullness of His Spirit in my life to cause me to make the correct choices, to follow the right steps in my life. Paul prays that Christ would dwell, take up residence, to be at home in their hearts through that work of faith. The next thing he requests in his prayer She says that being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18 continues, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. I love it how Paul, throughout his writings, he uses terms that people could connect with. Jesus did the same thing whenever Jesus spoke with the people. He used terms that they could connect with, that they could understand clearly. Now, it's, it's believed that Paul was a man of great intellect. We see in the Scriptures that he was able to debate the men there on Mars Hill, that he was able to, to stand before the Pharisees and the Sadducees to be able to debate and discuss the laws of Israel and, again, all of their tradition. 
He was able to boldly stand before governors and kings, again, giving reason for the hope that's within him. And yet, with all of that depth of knowledge, when he communicated with the people, he spoke and he wrote in terms that we could understand. And that's the best kind of teacher, isn't it? That has a vast array of knowledge, and yet is able to, as they say, put the cookies on the bottom shelf, so that we could all eat of it, that we could all take from it. You know, it does no one any good to continually be speaking up here and say, well, hopefully I'm just going to draw them up to that level. The problem is, is you lose them. Paul writes in a way that we can understand. And I love it when he uses phrases of being in the army. He uses phrases of being in sports. He uses phrases even of farming and gardening. And the more I garden, the more I begin to understand those kinds of phrases. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word, the teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to TheOpenWord.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through God's Word. So please make plans to join us again and may God richly bless you.